Well, hey, as people are kind of arranging a little bit, getting some seats, if you have a Bible, go ahead and find 1 Thessalonians. Uh, let me just alert you to the fact that my voice is on the cusp of being lost. So uh, apologies there if I'm not as clear as normal, but if you just have to tune in and listen, <clears throat> I'll probably clear my throat a couple times directly into this microphone, so uh, prepare for that as well. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, 1 Thessalonians, New Testament, right? 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. All right. Hey, uh, a lot of us, not all of us, but a good chunk of us just got back on Friday from summer retreat, and we had a, yeah, 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 yeah. For those of you who weren't able to join us, we missed you. We had a great week studying God's word, worshiping, serving a phenomenal place. Um, we got a lot of work done. We enjoyed great fellowship. Uh, we participated just magnificently in Lakeview's Got Talent. Um, those things and more will be uh, published shortly and put on the internet for all of you to laugh at. Um, jury's out on the audio. We'll, we'll find out. That's always kind of a gamble. But, uh, but yeah, we had a great week. I'm so glad of, that, that's right, that's right. I'm so glad that uh, we got the chance to go to that. Um, and if you weren't there, and if you were there, let me just invite you now, six o'clock tonight, our evening service is gonna be a youth share service. So I'll teach and give kind of a recap of what we learned in camp. We'll have people give testimonies and pray and read scripture, which also reminds me, no pressure in the immediate, like right, you have to answer right now, but I'm looking especially for a guy who went to camp who would, wouldn't mind sharing a testimony about something that the Lord did this week. So if that's you, if you're a guy, I've already got a girl doing the testimony. I'm really excited about that. would love to have a guy as well. So if you're a guy, you're go, you went to camp and you just have a story to tell about something that God did or something that you learned, I'd love to hear that from you. Come talk to me afterwards and we'll get you hooked up for tonight. Um, done. Okay. Shoot me a text message so that I don't forget because I will. Um, or just shoot me a message in the group me or something. Um, all right, so that's summer retreat out of the way. Today, we begin walking through 1 Thessalonians. We're going to go verse by verse through this letter uh, all summer long. And it's a great way to begin the summer as well, especially this, this text. So uh, kind of the, the theme of the, the series is walking in the light. We're going to study through 1 Thessalonians. Paul is trying to train up this church in Thessalonica to walk in the light of the gospel. But today, the, the title of the message is, Thanks to God, encouragement to the church. Thanks to God, encouragement to the church. Paul is going to give the church in Thessalonica and us some great encouragement and insight on how to encourage others. Now, here's something that I know to be true about everybody, everybody in the room, everybody who's ever lived. We all need encouragement, right? I mean, often I remember when I was a high school student and then a college student, one of my main jobs uh, in serving the church was to run sound. So I was in the sound booth, I was working behind the soundboard, and when everything's going good, you, you basically don't exist, right? Like nobody notices that you're there, nobody notices that you're doing your job. But if something messes up, everybody knows because everybody goes, right? They're like looking for the problem, right? So, so often a job like that is a thankless job. And in fact, the only feedback you get is often negative, 
right? Very rarely does somebody go up to the sound technician and go, hey man, the pastor's voice today sounded awesome. Thank you for that. They're going to be like, we couldn't hear him ever. And you're like, okay, I'm sorry. Maybe it's because you didn't have the headphones on. So um, we all need encouragement though. I mean, that's easy to see. And in this passage, we're going to find real encouragement in the reminders of what God has done and is doing in us. So let's pray together. And we're going to find some encouragement today from the scriptures. So let's join me in prayer. Oh God in heaven, we are grateful that we get to gather together this morning as the children of God to open up your word and to behold your glory. So God, I pray that as we walk through this passage together, you would give me clarity of thought. You would help me to teach with authority and with power that you would only allow me to teach the truth. And Lord, for these students and these leaders that you would open their eyes and open their ears to know and understand your word, to hear from not me, but from you. And so be transformed by the power of the word as they come into contact with the risen Lord Jesus. I pray that we might all be encouraged this morning, that you would uh, bind up our broken hearts, that you would bring healing to our wounds, that even in the midst of maybe hardship and sorrow, we might find joy because you were there in the midst of it all. We pray that you might be with us even now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So won't you join me in reading? Uh, we're going to read the whole passage together. It's just verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to break it up into a couple of sections. All right, so 1 Thessalonians 1, 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, there's a lot in this passage, and so we won't be able to cover everything. But if you're taking notes this morning, the first kind of place we're going to stop is in verses 1 through 3 in the kind of the introduction and greeting. And we're going to see from Paul that our prayers lead to praise. Our prayers lead to praise. We first read of Paul Silvanus. Another name for him is Silas. So when you read the book of Acts and you read about Silas, that's the same person. Uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're all together writing to the church in Thessalonica. Paul as the author, Silas and Timothy as the uh, ones who are in agreement with him. They are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This church in Thessalonica is a local assembly of believers. In many ways, their church 
is like our church. It's a group of brothers and sisters who have submitted their lives to the gospel of Jesus and are living under his lordship in a place that's often really hard to be faithful. And Paul begins with a little greeting that he uses in other letters. He opens with what he believes Christians need most. You can see that at the end of verse 1. He says, grace to you and peace. Grace and peace. In the middle of turmoil or a scary situation as a kid, having a parent present always filled me with peace, right? So when I fell off my bike or when I got hurt or when something bad happened or when I broke something, I would want to find my parents. I would want to find someone that could help me. And when I was with my dad or with my mom, my fears would start to go away. My son does this to me even now, right? So when he falls or when he gets hurt or something, one of the first things he'll do is he'll look up to see if he can find mom and dad. I mean, he, he did it this morning. He busted it on the sidewalk outside the church because his shoes apparently make him not able to walk. And he skinned his knee up pretty good. But the first thing he did when, I, when he got picked up is he looked up at us. Like, hey, am I okay? Is this good? Now, if we were like, I can see the bone. I'm freaking out. But then he would be like, I'm freaking out. And he would start crying, right? But because the parent was there, there was peace. So Paul reminds this church, still walking in persecution and hardship. Remember last week, we learned that this church in Thessalonica is smack dab in the middle of a cultural hub, a city full of different religions, and not all of them love Jesus. Actually, they all don't, except this one. So in the midst of their persecution and hardship, Paul's reminding the church that God gives them grace and that his presence brings peace. And you need to know that too. Some of you may struggle with fear. You may walk around often with worry. You may live a kind of life that is regularly assaulted by anxiety. And what I'm not saying is that simply trusting God will cause those real feelings to just evaporate. But I am saying that God is kind to give us his word, his spirit, and his people to bring peace out of our chaos. Paul knows that the church, more than anything, needs to know the grace of God and the peace of God. So when you feel your heart destabilized by your circumstances, remember that he is there. So Paul continues by telling the church that he thanks God for them in his prayers. Whenever they come to mind, he says, he worships because he knows that God has done amazing things in and through them. And specifically, he gives three examples to the church. He says, first, I remember your work of faith. This church in Thessalonica believes and lives out that belief in Jesus. They heard Paul's gospel and they trusted it. And now their daily works are shaped by that gospel rather than the idols of their culture. Second, he, he remembers their labor of love. These works that they produce day in and day out are other-oriented. They're not self-centered, they're other-centered. Their lives had this particular theme that Paul noticed even when he was there for only three weeks. It's so easy, right, to be self-centered, to be self-oriented, to only be thinking about what's best or most convenient for me. But this church and these believers showed their community and one another how Christ was and is loving. Third, Paul remembers their steadfastness of hope in Jesus. Now, just I'm going to pause there and say, do these words sound familiar to you? 
Faith, love, hope. These are words that Paul is going to use in other letters all throughout the New Testament. And and in different scenarios, in different contexts, he's going to give the greater emphasis on the last word. So often you might have, have this recognized in your own mind as faith, hope, and love, right? Where it says the greatest of these is love. But in this letter, one of the main things that the church in Thessalonica is wrestling with is what is our future? How can we trust in what's to come? And so what Paul is doing here is he's emphasizing, hey, you know what I remember most of all? I remember your works of faith. I remember your labors of love, but I remember your steadfastness and hope. You remember and you trust and you cling to the fact that Jesus is coming again. While later on in this letter, Paul will address some misunderstandings about doctrine, the foundation of their hope was good. In the promise that Jesus would return, this church is placing their hope. So here's the pattern for you and I to pick up as we think about works of faith, labors of love, steadfastness of hope. Paul is praying, and as he does, God calls to mind the ways that he has blessed them, the, those whom Paul loves, like the Thessalonian church. So Paul's praying, he's, he's praying to the Lord, he's, he's asking God for help, he's interceding, and as he's doing these things, the, the Spirit of God is drawing to his mind different people, different groups that he loves. He's remembering, oh, I remember that church in Rome. Oh, I remember that church in Ephesus. Oh, I remember the, the church in Thessalonica and these people and the things that they did. And as those things are called to mind, and he remembers all the ways that they're following Jesus, Paul is led to worship. He's thanking God because God is the one who's producing all of these things in the lives of those he loves so dearly. And he doesn't keep it to himself. He doesn't keep that worship just to he and the Lord. But then he turns around and shares with this church. Hey, let me tell you what's been going on in my prayers. I've been thinking about you. I've remembered you. And it's just reminded me of all the reasons that I have to worship the Lord. So be encouraged because I see these things in you and I know that they're a gift from God. Now, what if we followed that pattern? What if in our prayers, as we pray for one another, as we pray for the things that just are the regular rhythms of our life, we remember ways that God has moved in the lives of those we love. We stop and notice how God is working. We're drawn then to worship the God who's living and active among his people. And then we have real meaningful reasons to go to that brother or sister and provide them with God-honoring encouragement. Now, there's a difference between encouragement and flattery, right? Flattery is saying nice things about a person in front of them that you would never say behind their back, right? You're saying good things to that person so that they might give you something later or they might return the favor. So flattery is still self-centered, right? It's, I'm going to do this because I'm going to get something in return. But encouragement is other-oriented. It's being able to say to a brother or to a sister, Man, I see God at work in your life. And here are the things that I've seen in your life. You were struggling with these things six months ago, and now you seem to have victory over that. Praise God. We can follow Paul's pattern of prayers leading to praise. All right, second stop for this morning. We got to move on. In verses four and five, another great encouragement that we find is that our salvation is secure. So if you're taking notes, number two, our salvation is secure. 
Paul wants to be clear in his confidence for the Thessalonian church. God is moving among them. And so he says, look at verse four. He says, for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. Now this choosing here in 1 Thessalonians 1.4 is God's initiative. I mean, the, the clear context of what's going on in this passage is that God has saved these people. The gospel has come, they have believed, and now they are in Christ. The Lord has saved them. He is the one who does the work. He is the one who applies the saving grace of the Son of God through the power of the Spirit to whom he wills. And Paul is affirming to these brothers and sisters, that's you. That's you. Now, the point of Paul mentioning this is not to begin a long lecture on how we are to understand the mechanics of God's sovereignty and our salvation. That's a message for another time. But here, his point is to highlight this incredibly reassuring fact to encourage this group of believers walking in the midst of sorrow and hardship and persecution. Here it is. If you as a Christian didn't do anything to earn your salvation, then there's nothing you can do to lose it. I'll say that again. If you as a Christian didn't do anything to earn your salvation, then there's nothing you can do to lose it. It's not yours to lose. Right? This is all the work of God. They are brothers and sisters loved by God now and forever. And how does he know this? How can Paul say this with such confidence? Well, look at verse 5. Because, well, there, that's a good indication, right? I say all these things because our gospel came to you. But it came to this church in four very powerful ways. Very important ways. The gospel came to them in word, in power, in the spirit, and with full conviction. So let's just walk through those very quickly. The word of God came to these Thessalonians. The word came. They heard the gospel from Paul and the others. And this message was powerful. It's not like scrolling on your phone to just check out the recent news and things that people have posted and doesn't really garner much of your attention at all. No, this was a proclamation that caught their attention. And it was in the Holy Spirit, the very one who applies the saving work of God to sinners. And finally, it was with full conviction. Paul and the others were willing to stake their lives on this message. He even continues in verse 5 to make it clear. Paul says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you. Like you saw our lives, you saw our witness. But notice what he says at the very end of verse five. You saw what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. For your sake. So, so Paul recognizes that there's something about living out the gospel that is for another person. There's something about walking in obedience, walking in holiness, walking in faithfulness that's not just for you but it's for those around you. We'll cover that a little bit more in just a moment. Our salvation is secure. And Paul's message for us in verses four and five, in other words, means this. You and I don't get to decide when our gospel proclamations produce salvation. So all of us know the Great Commission. All of us know that we've been charged, we've been commissioned by the Lord Jesus with all authority in heaven on earth to go and make disciples. 
but we know that we don't have the equipment to talk to somebody and in our own power say, hey, you're a sinner. You need Jesus. Jesus has offered a way to have life instead of death. Trust in him. And they go, I trust in him. We don't, we don't have that equipment. We're not responsible for the results of evangelism, but we can trust that God will use us as we faithfully share. That's the example of Paul. That's the example of believers all throughout church history. And that can be our example as well. The power of our evangelism doesn't rest in us, but it rests in the word and in the spirit. And Paul knows that his message was the very thing that brings salvation to the sinner, not because of the messenger, but because of the message. And because of their reception, they can now walk with assurance, knowing that God has set his love upon them. Now, this may seem kind of up here, but let's just put boots on the ground. Isn't it hard sometimes to be a Christian? Like, isn't it hard sometimes when you're living out your life day by day and you just don't want to follow Jesus? You don't feel like honoring the Lord. You don't have any desire to read God's word. And if you and I aren't careful, we'll start to receive those feelings as some kind of indication that we're not even a Christian at all. And we'll start to live in those doubts. We'll start to live in that no man's land of, well, I don't even know who I am and I don't even know where I stand and I don't even know what the truth is. And Paul is saying, it's not about you. It's not about how you feel in this moment. It's not about how your perception of the circumstances in your life are are dictating how you feel. That's not what it's about. What it's about is what has Jesus done? And do you trust in that? Right? It's not, what have I done today that makes me feel like a Christian? Those days will come and they're awesome. But when persecution and hardship and sorrow comes, we need to have assurance and we can walk in assurance, knowing that God has set his love, not just upon the church in Thessalonica, but upon us. Our salvation is secure. Nothing can separate us from the very love of God that Paul talks about right here. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you are in Christ. That's the language of the New Testament. So when you are a follower of Jesus, when you're a Christian, you are in Christ. You are a member of his body. Now think about this. If you are in Christ, then the father's love for his son is now the same love that he has for you because you're in him. So you can have assurance. Our salvation is secure. Third place to land. And this is where we'll land the plane this morning. In verses six through 10, we're going to see the response of the church in Thessalonica. And we're going to notice what we picked up on just a few minutes ago from Paul. So number three, our lives are a model. Our lives are a model. We need to catch the encouragement of Paul in in showing the example of the church in Thessalonica. Look at verse six. He says, and you, this is as a response to their receiving the gospel. So the gospel came in word and power and spirit and full conviction. And in response, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. What a sight to see. When following Jesus is costly, when believing the gospel may mean broken relationships or loss of status or 
giving away influence and prestige, many walk away. I mean, that's the story of the rich young ruler, isn't it? This is a man who knew the law. He goes to Jesus and says, Rabbi, good teacher, what must I do to enter heaven? I've kept all these laws since I was a boy. And Jesus had compassion on him. He said, you know, one thing you lack, go sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, and then you can follow me. And the rich young ruler says, can't do that. Got too much value in my things. Not worth, not worth giving those up. They count the cost and they see that it's too high for them. But when someone leans into the grace of the gospel and receives the word with joy, even when things are dark and bleak around them, they shine like a light. And that's Paul's point in this passage. The word, he says, had gone from them into other regions like Macedonia and Achaia. So they were faithful to share the word to those around them. But then he says their faithfulness, their joy in hardship had gone forth everywhere. They had no need to say anything to this church about their faithfulness because there were others who were already reporting these things. Here's the point. Their lives extended farther than their words. So so their lives were, were saying something to people that they didn't know they were talking to. Their lives modeled their faith and it blessed Paul. Paul saw fit to encourage them by drawing it out before them. You know, before he wrote this letter, he sent Timothy to go to this church to check on them because he was afraid that they had been tempted to wander off into error. We'll get to that in 1 Thessalonians 3. So you have to assume, you have to imagine that Paul is writing this letter so full of joy that he was wrong. No, it's, it's, in fact, it's the exact opposite. Timothy's like, I can't stop hearing about the faithfulness of these believers in the midst of a hard situation. They weren't believing in order to be seen. They weren't acting to be noticed. They were following Jesus in joy, confirming their calling, confirming their election as they walked in his footsteps of suffering and hardship. And, and this is not just an encouragement to their initial belief, right? So the, the immediate context is you received the word and you became imitators of us. And it's this kind of initial believing the gospel. But this is also continual. So when Christians day by day take up their cross and follow Christ, when they cling to their joy in him, even when it's difficult or costly, when the bitterness of loss or brokenness doesn't overwhelm the sweetness of the presence of God, then other people are blessed by that. I have so many just immediate concrete examples right now of people in my life who are blessing me, who are encouraging me, who have caused me to worship God because of their joy and obedience in suffering. They experience real pain and real sadness, real hurt and real sorrow and real longing and more. And yet through their tears and their laments, they cleave to Jesus. They cling to his word and they gather themselves around his people to be reminded of hope. And that may be how you feel right now. And you might feel like 
I'm trying to be faithful to Jesus. I'm trying to cling to him even when it's hard. And I just feel so alone. And I feel like nobody sees what God sees. And so do others. They may not have the words to articulate what they're seeing, but I'm telling you, you are giving them a gift. So think about this. Walking in your trials with Jesus may not primarily even be for you. Like going through a hard season of life or going through a a season where you want something and you can't have it or you you had something and you lost it, whether it's a relationship or a, a status or a place. Perhaps the Lord has brought you to that place not for you, but so that others might see what he is cultivating in you, that kind of faithfulness that will lead them to press on in their own hardship. And Paul tells us in this passage that these believers had turned from their idols, and they're now serving the true God, and they eagerly await the return of the Son of God, risen from the dead, who delivers us from the wrath of God. Is this not us too? I mean, their story is our story. And it's all pointing to the story of Jesus who offers his own life so that we might have life. He doesn't promise an easy end to hardship. He doesn't promise an easy end to suffering. He doesn't promise that all of your sorrows will evaporate away today, but he does promise to come again. He does promise to make all things right. And I can't think of a better way to start the summer with you than to be encouraged by this passage and share together in the hope that the church in Thessalonica had 2,000 years ago. Receiving Paul's encouragement, being stirred up to thank God for who he is and for what he's done. Let me pray for us. We'll spend some time discussing this in our groups.